Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, told you you need to watch that. It's a good show. I don't watch anything. Yes, you do. You stay up at late at night and watching your shows. I don't have shows. Yes, you do. What show do I have? I don't know. Some nerdy geek show. The only show I have, which Space. comes out very sporadically, is uh, Sherlock right now. Well, what do you stay up late doing all the time? I know you're not always working. What do you do with your John time? You got to watch stuff. I don't. Whatever. Well, uh, I'll watch a lot of History Channel. Like sometimes on the weekends, I'll watch. Oh, a, I like to educate myself. No, it's not. Time. I'll watch a marathon of Ancient Aliens. It's funny stuff. You know what I like that comes on History Channel? It's a. Uh, I think it's about to start its fifth season. Um, Vikings. Is mm, that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. tried to get into it. I couldn't. That's pretty good. After I finally started watching Game of Thrones and binged like the first five seasons, I was like, I need something else now that's similar and Vikings kind of fit the bill. I mean, it doesn't have the budget that Game of Thrones has, but it's still pretty good. Hmm. <clears throat> All right. Salesforce. I just had to get that in there. Salesforce. Salesforce. So do you have, um, what, what are your topics looking like? I mean, I've got some new stuff we can talk about. Not a, not a ton though. I have news. Okay. I have news. I have um, some process builder stuff we can get into. Oh, yeah. I want to hear about that. Um, what else do we have? You want to do news first and then get into your process builder thing? Yeah. yeah. All right. My news or your news? I don't care. Start no to. news is good news. Well, there is news. But that's not necessarily bad news. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so out of it. Um. Microsoft, okay, I'll just dig right into the one here I got. This is the headline. Microsoft's Salesforce killer product is selling well. <laughs> That's an odd way to end that title. <laughs> anyway. Well, the, you have to put the right emphasis on that. Microsoft's Salesforce killer. Or is it Microsoft's Salesforce killer? It's a sales, yeah, it's their Salesforce killer product. But it should be like, he's kicking ass or something. But no, it's Microsoft's Salesforce killer product is... Microsoft came to chew gum and selling well. out of gum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, Microsoft, you know, released their earnings, I guess uh, it was last week. By the way, I did not realize this, but in the... Was it the 2000? I have to, I have to go back and look at this now. Maybe it was the 2008. I mean, like MSFT. They had never regained their um their value no it was it was like okay let me look at the peak 1999 they were at about 60 bucks in 2000 keep in mind this is like uh, about the time you, know, you remember y2k and yeah because everyone had to buy is that, software uh, is that when yeah is all, it, all the people holding out on on when still on windows 3.1 had to go out and buy windows 2000 i think it so was of course the, the whole economy the the stock market everything the tech bubble at all everything collapsed they had not regained their value until now. They just they just eclipsed where they were in the year nineteen ninety nine. Wow! So if you were a, if you've been a shareholder in Microsoft for that long, you've had to hold just to get back to where you are. Crazy! This whole investing thing scares the crap out of me. All right. Um, so yeah, they had they had a lot of good news, uh, which was which kind of what sent their stock to basically all time highs. Their Productivity and business processes unit grew 6%, actually 8% in constant currency to $6.7 billion. Most of that is Office. Office 365. Yeah. 
That's a lot of office. $6.7 billion of office. Office has always been popular, but now they switched to the subscription model and that just kind of... I'm not a fan of it. You're not. Well, I'm, I'm starting to not be a fan of it. Okay. Like, I mean, we, we said this last time that the whole subscription model is, it's not proving to be all that valuable to me in the long run. Yeah, I get constant updates, but oh, you just, are they adding new features gotcha. year over year gotcha. that say I need to keep paying and keep yeah. paying and keep paying? And is that the cycle I want to be on? Do I want these companies to have to try to come up with new things to keep it valuable to me? The, the, I guess the truth is, is that... Um, you're everything's going to be subscription pretty soon and that's just the way it works and you're not going to have a whole lot of choice so i don't know get used to it well, that's gonna is get, my message gonna, things are going to get really expensive with that mentality not necessarily how so well i don't know i mean that's whatever that, that's what salesforce's model is and people well, I mean, seem to be going that way th- and think about what our ideal tv situation is, is we get to subscribe to the shows and the channels that we want individually a la carte yeah but I mean, even that, I mean, if you start adding up all the different shows and the different channels you watch, it's, it starts to get expensive. I already have a Netflix bill and a, an Apple bill and a Hulu bill and whatever else is coming out there, I'll probably have to start subscribing to. Yeah. I know, Amazon. I, I hear you. I mean, basically, the, the, the message is, is you, we're, we're continuing to evolve and add value to this service or product thing we're selling. And you're going to get that additional value whether you want it or not because if you actually want to use it at all you've got to be subscribing to it and you're going to have the latest whereas before you could choose just to hey, i'm going to buy it as it stands right now and i don't want to buy it again for another three years and i, I know i'm not going to get any additional value but i'm fine with that you, you can't do that anymore yeah i mean but there's other things that i paid for a subscription on that weren't necessarily based on value it was more based on just availability uptime you know i, I have a server that i pay for and you know, the company, the only thing they guarantee is that they'll keep it up and running 99% of the time. And I don't have to worry about, you know, updating the hardware or anything like that. They just, it's just there. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. It's not like they're constantly trying to add things to it to keep it valuable to me. Just the fact that it's there is valuable to me. The server? You're talking about you having a server. Yeah, I'm talking about, I'm talking about like a hosted website or a hosted server or anything else like that where there's really no guarantee of a, of a service or product other than that's always there. That makes no sense. No, they're guaranteeing you that it's got power, that it's got internet, that it's got the right environment, that, it, that it's there, that it's running, all I that know, stuff. And that's different from software as a service where you're paying for the software. You're paying for it, maintenance. You're paying for software. Because you used to... Yeah, you, I mean, you're paying for the maintenance, but then, then they keep adding new things and that keeps increasing the cost of this thing that, that at one point in time, it was valuable as this. And then they keep tossing this other stuff and saying, hey, that, that makes this product so much cooler and you're going to have to pay for it. Well, theoretically, it shouldn't be increasing the cost. It, it would <coughs> come out to kind of the same as if you were... like, Let's say you used to buy, every time a new version of Microsoft Office came out, you always bought the upgrade. Always bought the upgrade. Well, what you're doing now with the subscription model, I think is actually cheaper. It's just that you basically have to be getting the latest. You don't get a choice to just stay on Office 2005 or whatever. Mm. You've got to constantly be upgrading. Anyway, yeah, we talked about this. We talked about this. All right, so back to Microsoft. Uh, they also credited their quarter, their good quarter, to Dynamics. So Dynamics, the Dynamics product and cloud services revenue grew eleven percent or thirteen percent in constant currency, which didn't sound that high to me. I'm like, well, that's not growing very much. I mean, that's it's growing more than like, for example, Salesforce's sales cloud, but not much more, and it's not as much as I thought. But then, if you look, if you drill down further. The online version of Dynamics, 
um, or this is actually specifically Dynamic CRM Online. It actually grew 2.5 times. How much was that? 250%? Yeah. Is it? If it grew 2.5, it grew. I mean, the, the quote was it grew by more than 2.5 times. That's 250%. Yeah. So that's, is I guess, that mainly that HP acquisition or not acquisition, um, HP customer that they, they got? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, that's probably a several thousand seats, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that. I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, the media likes to. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it was also only one. Remember, the HP split and it was only one of the HPs. I don't remember which one it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, more than 70% of the dynamic CRM and ERP enterprise customers. Uh, okay, this is, really irritates me. The word ads here. Right, and I'm going to get into words because it's going to turn into like a pet peeve here. The, more than 70% of Dynamics CRM and ERP enterprise customer ads shows Dynamics Online. They're using ads as a, as a plural noun. Hmm. As in is advertising? It, yeah. And, and, and the more people clicked on... And, and this... This, well, I don't even know what they mean. I think what they're—I think they're using ads as like, as a, a noun and kind of like this, you know, MBA consultant type speak, which goes back to what this irritated me earlier this week, and I actually—I think I tweeted something about this, something snarky. I don't read your tweets. It, the way people are using <laughs> the word "ask," ask. Yes, I've been hearing this more and more, and I, I basically it's like. If um, what what people used to call requirement, or if um, mm. if the VP you know has you know we we need to do this, and so people sit around, they'll talk about well, well, what's the ask here? Oh, is that the ask? The ask. They they're using the word ask, which is a verb. I think in almost all senses of the word, it's a verb. They're using it as a noun. And what I would like to form all you people who who are trying to sound smart. <laughs> Is that we already have a, a a noun for that word, and it's called the word is called question. But how am I going to sound smart in a you meeting ask when a I question when or, I kind of cut through or all really everything just call and it, say, "Well, what what do we really need to be doing here?" Just call it what it is. It's it's a requirement or a business need. It's not an ask. But then I won't sound you're cool just and making hip. It, you just make yourself I won't sound, sound like young, a cool and hip. Like you sound like a douche. Is what you'll no, sound like. I need like. to sound young, cool, and hip in my meetings. Yeah. Yes, maybe they're trying to sound like millennials. I don't know. Is that is this millennial speak? I'll have to ask my little sister. You're closer to a millennial than I am. Well, closer to someone who is a millennial. Yeah. I don't, I don't hang out with millennials. <laughs> All my friends are old. Anyway, I feel like, yeah, yeah, Microsoft's taking this cloud business software thing pretty seriously. I, I've been wondering if they've just been dabbling and, and kind of just always keeping a little thread out there. to Because anytime Microsoft's sticking their toe in your water, it's, it's, it, it can soften it can soften other initiatives from uh, from competitors. Oh, but we right? got we got to consider that we have new leadership here, and and the leadership of the past was kind of stuck in its ways. It just could not move past its previous business models. And I think with Satya coming on, he's able to kind of make those transitions. Which I was skeptical that they'd be able to, but they've they've done a pretty good job at turning a lot of things around. Not everything's perfect. I'm not going to say I, that. I would have never guessed that we would have the Microsoft that we have today. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm definitely, I mean, I, I would definitely consider an opportunity to work on the Microsoft stack at this point. Oh, you might turn you into a C-sharp guy after all, huh? Especially the fact that I can do it on a Mac now. 
I mean, one of my big hangups has been all of their tools and, and the platform only runs on Windows and I just don't run Windows. So it, it's hard to, and even if I may be deploying my end product to a server, I mean, you still, they kind of made it to where you have to develop on a Windows machine. I'm just not going to run Windows. And I don't want to run a VM because that's just, even though the tools are, are, I guess, decent for that, it's still not as, it's, still, it's not good. Yeah. And then I have Windows on my Mac, which is really gross. Yeah, but I mean, that aside, I mean, it, it opens up the language to be, uh, how do I want to say this? When it was a Windows-only world, meaning .NET was Windows-only, this is what you could do. I mean, the VM was the VM, but then you had all these kind of enterprise libraries, DLLs, and all that kind of stuff that existed on the system. There were shared libraries, global libraries, and it kind of messed with you on things. It, there were a lot of kind of collisions and things like that that would happen, and you, it got to be pretty ugly. It, it's almost like registry hell. It's it, now it's DLL hell with with all these enterprise libraries. What is so there? What is what is the global um, thing called now in .NET? I don't know. It's been a while. I'm sure someone could tell us. But either way, my point is that that the fact that that this is becoming oh, it's more the GAC, the global assembly cache. Yeah, there you go. So the fact that this is kind of being more available on other platforms that doesn't mean that that the global cache is going to be gone. I don't think, but I think. You know, it starts to decouple it a bit. It's it's not so Windows specific, and and the tooling will expand to fit all these other environments. Well, yeah, because I mean, if you think about .NET DLLs, there that's all. Is that is an IL or what's the yeah. compiled version? Uh, I want to. It that's IL, right? I think so. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know, but anyway, it's 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 essentially what Java would call like their bytecode, right? Right. Right. It's binary, mm-hmm. and it's like it's essentially it's it's. It's VM um, opcodes, essentially. Right. It go, it's code that goes into the VM, which then turns it into... And it's code. theoretically not in any way specific to the operating system. Correct. It, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's at a VM layer, which can run on any compliant... Uh, what is... Else, what is a, C, any compliant CLR, which that CLR could be implemented on Windows. You could implement one on Linux, which exists. And now, I think... Doesn't it run? Isn't there a CLR for the Mac too now? Uh, I mean, I know you can do a lot of this .NET stuff on on a Mac. I, I need to check it out. I'm really interested in this, and that also opens me up to being being able to do uh, ServiceNow work. Like, is it wait? They're .NET or are they Java? I can't remember. I think they're .NET. I thought we need our Google Music. I know. Is that I Dream a Genie? Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know why that's in my head. Coding best practices service now. Oh, this would be interesting. Anyway, there's, I, I think actually. Service I, now update their website? I think they're Java. But anyway. I think they just updated their website. I don't remember it looking like this. Actually, looks nicer now. You still look old school, cheesy. Service now is. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, all right. Um, I got more news. Did we talk about the Aperio acquisition? Uh, we I think it happened. It. I think we did. Did we? I thought it happened after we. Anyway, I had some more. I read a couple articles and just made some notes. I just want to talk about their numbers. So they they got bought for what is it five hundred million? And the initial numbers were saying four hundred million, but I think it turns out it was five hundred million. But I was trying to figure out, you know, how big how big Aperio was, and they're not public, and it's very hard to find revenue. But I did find an article that said, in their most recent numbers were about two hundred million in revenue, and which is interesting. 
So is it, is, that, is it an acquisition or is it a merger? Well, acquisition. I mean, they go bought by, by, is it WePro? Is that how you say mm-hmm. it? And that's like a about $18 billion company, something like in, in revenue. Lar- very large company. The period was $200 million, so. So was this just a, you know, the big guy saying, hey, we want some, we want to make some acquisitions here or... Is there yeah, a reason? So, is there well, a reason for that? Well, what's from the what why? I, okay, well, let me set some context. So, what's pe- the ask here for this acquisition? <laughs> <laughs> so, WePro is, you know, they're a they're based out of, um, I think, Bangalore, somewhere in India, and they, I think, a big part of their business is applications like enterprise applications. So, they help companies run SAP or whatever. I think, and then another really big part of their business is. I, I don't know if there's a newer name for this. It used to be called BPO, Business Process Outsourcing. Um, and that's basically, I think it's like, you know, yo, you want to let us do your HR, right? Because it's India and they can do it cheaper, right? It's the whole outsourcing. That, that's, where, that's when all this outsourcing offshoring started. It was companies like WePro with their business process outsourcing services. Mm-hmm. And of course, they do a lot of... Um, <laughs> that's funny. I'm sure they employ tons of programmers. When, when, you, when you Google WePro, you know how Google gives you the kind of highlights of their site? Gives you like the... Yeah. Here's the career page. Here's the contact us page. Right. So they have a WePro BPO and it says, oops, what are you looking for? So apparently that page mm. isn't, isn't, uh, oh, it's still there. Maybe they just renamed there it anymore. Yeah. So no more, no more BPO because that term's gone. But yeah, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure they employ an army of developers and they probably do custom programming around all those things. But they wanted to get in the cloud. They I think that's what this is. They want to, okay. yeah, they want to get in the cloud, get start, you know, get, get on that Salesforce gravy train. You know, what do you call the gold rush once there were actually already too many people headed to the gold rush? What's that called? I have no idea. Yeah. But I mean, it, are, it, are we seeing a consolidation here? Are we seeing where, you know, these we, we, larger... Well, we've seen a lot of consolidation. Oh, it started with uh, IBM buys Blue Wolf. Accenture yeah. buys Cloud Sherpas. Yeah. Which, that was like a $350 million deal. And now, Aperio buys WePro. Or we or sorry, we buys Superior for five hundred million. I mean, there's been a lot of speculation that sell, you know, Salesforce is really concerned because there's none of these kind of large mid tier consultants anymore. Or I don't say there are none, but can you actually who who's still out there? Who's, who are some of the big ones? What about uh, Proficient? Are they big? I don't know if they're big in Salesforce or not. Yeah, I don't know. And there's a lot of those, but I, I don't know that it's good for. I don't know if this is good for customers. That's that's the problem. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I don't know. I, um, I don't I don't know what the it, it's hard for me to say at a at a high level because I'm not doing this day to day what the ecosystem wants. Do they want, you know, gigantic enterprise level consulting agencies coming in with a hundred people to to build out my implementation? Is it because I mean that's what Salesforce is focused on is enterprise. Which does require, you know, those kind of people, or you know, is there still still enough, you know, the smaller guys, the the guys doing professional enterprise to, you know, for everyone to come and come in and do that work? Yeah, I'm not sure, <clears throat> but anyway, so back to numbers. So, Perio they raised a total um, of 110 million dollars in venture funding, so they'd raise a lot of money, and including uh, just just about a year ago, they closed a third another 35 million dollar round. Well, to me, that means that. I mean, they, they've never, they never made money. 
I mean, they just mm. closed. They just did another thirty-five million dollar round in in two thousand fifteen. Uh, but that's seems ago. typical of of the kind of mid-sized Salesforce agents, not making money. Agencies is that they don't know they're, how to make they're, money. They're, they're, well, they're focused on growth and they're focused on growing quickly, and you know that doesn't leave a lot of money left over. You know, for profit, it's it's that constant cycle of growing, 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 build out the team. You know, huge investments in in people to manage and firefight. And it's 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 interesting because I look at these companies, and I'll just speak in generic terms here because I don't really know specifically what what any of these companies charge. But it's amazing though when you look at, because you know these companies. I mean, they they have really high billing rates, and oh, yeah. and also it's not just the billing rates; it's the fact that like okay, if you hire me to do something and it takes me four hours, I'm gonna I bill you four hours, and that was a that was an efficient four hours too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, of course that's that's a it's a weird example because that's obviously just a small little thing. But I mean, there's there's no I don't I'm not you know meetings and trainings and and just all you know w- when you hire one of these big you know IBM or Accenture one of these things. I mean, ev- they put all of these people on a team and they're all billing you minimum eight hours a day. And who I mean, come on, you're not getting eight hours a, d- a day out of these people, right? So it's not just the rate; it's the fact that they're they're gonna they're just gonna bill you a lot. Yeah. But even at that, even at that, they still don't make money. But part of it, this, this is a hard business because these people, well, my assumption is that these are expensive people, right? People that are like professional uh, Salesforce like consultants, uh-huh. right? Now, when you hire, when your company hires a consultant or a consulting firm, like you should be getting top talent. These are experienced pros. I mean, there's a reason we're called professionals, right? That think well, that's that's the assumption. That's the warrant here. Well, I can tell you, I've supplemented many of these guys on these large projects where they needed they needed a heavy hitter to come in and do some stuff, but they don't want to pay my heavy hitter rate. They try to discount me as much as possible, and then I find out what their rate to the client is, and it kind of well, that's just because me. that's just that's just business. They're trying they're trying to get you as little as possible. I mean, you, sh- you shouldn't give in to that. I mean, that's don't. BS. Okay, I don't. okay, okay. I'm just good. Saying. Yeah, no, they're just trying to get you for the. I mean, that's just their job. I, I, I mean, me as a contractor, I, I can I can only imagine what their employees get paid because of, because of their tactics. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and they, these are my assumptions, my based on my experience. Anyway, so if you if you if you look at their numbers, so let's say they have two hundred, they had two hundred million in revenue, and they have about twelve hundred and fifty employees. That's only hundred and sixty thousand dollars in revenue per employee, which is really low. Um, I mean, look at Salesforce, for example, who, who, you know, either breaks even or doesn't make money. They have like $350,000 in revenue per employee. And of course, then you've got, you know, Google, Apple, they, you know, they're anywhere between four and five, $600,000 of revenue per employee. Of course, those are profitable companies, but 160000 that's really low, especially when you consider that most of their employees are, are high paid professionals. Well, I mean, I mean there's, I mean, there's no, a flip side to all this too. I mean, if we want to, balance out the perspective i mean it, you're you you have the sales the cost of trying to sell and close the deal the commission that goes along with that then bring it on the team to actually bill it out and then usually along with with these projects there's some trade-off some back and forth on some kind of warranty support and that's tough when you're dealing with requirements that are somewhat vague from a from a client who doesn't really know what they want and at the end of the deal they go nope this isn't what we wanted you got to fix this we asked for this. Well, let me tell you this right now. There's no such thing as a warranty on software 
or on software development. I I know, but the, and if, I've, if, I've you, seen if you put a warranty in it, if you if you're yeah, I've seen in plenty of situations where a client does expect, and they will use the term warranty, that after a project's done, or if for some reason it's not working the way it was supposed to, or there was a bug that was missed in testing yeah. that ends up in production, they want you to come back and do that, and they consider that warranty. They consider that you having to warranty the work that you did. Well, there's, that, that's fine. There should already be an agreement in place, though, for ongoing work. What I'm I mean, saying... If there's not, then... Well, what like, I'm saying is a lot of right. times what happens is based on those experiences, padding goes into the estimates. Oh, right. All this exactly. stuff goes right. into the estimates, which increases the cost, which yeah. adds, you know, maybe $10 to your rate, um, you know, per billing to try to account and balance that stuff out. Yeah. yeah. So in addition to their employees, they had quote, tens of thousands of contractors. It's, it's the cheap way to go, right? I, well, is it? It, it? It's the low risk way to go, but I don't know if well, it's the I cheap mean, way it, to go. Your, your workforce, especially if they're fairly loyal, is fairly dynamic. You're not having to pay for all their benefits, health insurance, 401k matching, what, whatever else you do for your, for your other employees. Yeah. You know, and it's, it, they're, they're interchangeable. They're in and out. You can use them as you need them. Yeah. Use us as you need them. I, yeah, I gonna, yeah. <laughs> keep saying we. Yeah, I'm. I don't think I'm going to say a lot about this. I, I've just, yeah, I've seen a lot of this. I don't know if it's unique to the Salesforce space, but they're even a company like Aperio uh, le, uh, leans heavily on on contractors. They're just, uh, yeah, I, but I mean, again, you don't have, you know, why why buy the cow when you can sample the milk? Well, a lot of us don't want to be employees. <laughs> I don't want to be an employee anymore. That's true. And there's a big movement for for. Uh, contractors across all industries, but but I not but just. I also saw in the news that uh, a third of Salesforce professionals are looking for jobs right now. Why? I, I don't know. It was just a survey. So that's that's another interesting, just another. another I cannot fact believe here. that when Salesforce believes that they're going to create not one point nine. What is it? One point nine million jobs in the next two or three years? Is that what the? It's got to be more than that. Is that the, what the numbers they were touting were? Yeah, something like that. One point nine. Not not even developers. I think they just said some. It may, I think it was like nine million. Wasn't that some godly number that, yeah, of just jobs that yeah. their their ecosystem was going to create? So why is anyone just looking for a job? I don't, at this point, I don't think sales, people anyone believes any numbers that Salesforce throws out there. Um, okay, so here's a, here's another interesting thing. And this is about um, this is in the context of because they're from Indianapolis, right? Imperial, that's where their U.S. headquarters are. I think so. And so this is from a local newspaper. So it tends to have um, 577 local employees by the end of 10, 2020. And th- this was actually an article from about six months ago, but before they got bought. It then tends to have 577 local employees according to a, a state tax incentive deal uh, that they got. Mm. There's nothing that irritates me. Giving sweetheart deals to certain companies. And listen to this. Average salaries for new hires under that agreement are expected to exceed, this is an Ask John, what are these? What are the salaries for their Indianapolis? Expected to exceed yeah. uh, eighty k, sixty five thousand. Really? That's all. <laughs> that's all. Crazy, huh? I mean, what goes into that? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess the richer keep getting richer. I don't know. <laughs> they confirmed their corporate headquarters is in Indianapolis. In, okay. So here's a quote from their CEO, I guess, Barbin. Is it Chris? Chris Barbin? Um, 
And this, again, this is back from about six months ago. This is funny. I saw someone point this out, so this isn't really new or anything, but it's got to be it's got to be mentioned. He says, as these mega global system integrators acquire independent consultancies, a void in the marketplace widens. Clients quote don't want out of the box solutions that have been applied on thousands of companies before them. Rather, we hear customers wanting individualized solutions in days and weeks, not months and years. Uh, end quote. Seems counterintuitive. Barbin says he wants a period to maintain its quote purity and clarity and not be bogged down by the legacy behaviors of large system integrators. He suggested he wouldn't be enticed even if a would be suitor pledged to keep a Perio a standalone subsidiary, since similar promises have been made to other firms in the industry that have not panned out. They quote, they get absorbed into a broader cloud unit or digital business unit, he said, and therefore things can get watered down. I think that five hundred million dollars was his price. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't think so. Okay, I mean you mentioned all the VC that went into it. At that point, it might not have been his decision. It probably wasn't, and I believe they were at least half owned by VC. Yeah. So he probably get, he he might have gotten outvoted. Yeah. Who knows? I, I definitely you know me. I never begrudge people for. I have to talk about this when it comes to all these um, craft breweries getting bought by the basically AB InBev. They're like the only one left. Mm-hmm. These this conglomerates. And, you know, these people, you know, these craft beer douches is what I call them, get their panties in a wad. I'm like, listen, you know, this, these couple of guys here, you know, 20 years ago, put every last dime they had, bet the farm, you Mortgage know, didn't, didn't see their families very much for 20 years yeah. and built this business. And now they want to, now they want to reap the war, rewards from that. And you're giving them a hard time. I mean, fine, don't drink the beer, but you, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't see how you can criticize them for that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, stock is not, is worth nothing until you actually sell it. Yep. Anyway, yeah, that's what I had on Aperio. Any other thoughts on uh, these companies getting bought? Uh, what, well, what is, we, we can segue into Quip. What kind of well? Before we do that, I mean, what kind of reputation do you think WePro has? Because my my perception, at least in the United States, is that you know they're again they're this kind of Indian outsourcer BPO kind of low. I don't say low quality, low value. It's like, you know, you kind of outsource things that are not critical to your business or things that are not part of your value add. I mean, um, I've heard of them, but I, I've never interacted with them. I really don't know what their business model is. I don't, I don't I mean, really know much about them at all. I mean, not, not known for like the most innovative and, and um, having like, you know, the sharpest knives in the drawer. I don't know. I think it just depends on. Basically, basically put it this censure, way. Is what, a censure that the, the cream of the crop? Maybe in certain industries. I, no, I don't know. No. Accenture is, again, Accenture is one of these companies that you call when you need, when, when you're a giant company, you've got this big budget and you need to throw a team on something that you're not going to get fired for, then you call Accenture. I, I, I guess. I mean, I, I guess I see these big guys. But, but compare, the, but, but, so you got those Accentures, all those big guys, right? But then you've got the companies like ThoughtWorks and, and ThoughtBot and um, Pivot, Pivotal, um, what do they call their, software development company. Pivotal Labs, right? Mm. Yeah. That class of company, they're, you know, they're not going to throw 200 poorly skilled people on a project. They've got nothing but, this is their thing. And, and I think it's larger too. And they basically have nothing but like really smart people, really, really good people. That's in there. They're very good at hiring. They're super selective. They don't, they're, it's not their thing to become a billion dollar company, go after giant projects. They build extremely 
you know, well-built software. And so if you, if you're a discerning CIO or whatever, whoever you are, and you want something, you know, you want something built really well, and it's okay that you're not hiring, you know, a team of MBAs, then that's who you go for. Yeah, I guess if I had to create an analogy, I could use restaurants. You have big, gigantic chains where you know you're going to get the same thing no matter right. what state, town you go to. Right. It's going to be the same food. It's going to be the. It's going to be fast. It's going to be you know, or like you'll get the same serve. You'll get. You're not going to be surprised by it. It's the safe bet that if you want to go get something to eat, you go to a chain. You're going to get what you get. Right. Or like, but if you want to experiment, if you want to go to something and and try something new and take a risk. You might get something incredible by some mom and pop who really cares about what they do, or you might get something really crappy by someone who doesn't know what well, they're let's, doing. Let's put it this way: you, your kid, you got kids going to have a birthday party, and they're going to it's going to be fifty kids. You're going to go to you know you go to Chuck E. Cheese or something, right? Yeah. You, you know what you're getting. You're getting crappy pizza, it's but. even though it's crappy, it's probably you know so it's it's probably a rip off. But, but it's, the kids leave happy. But it, they get to play some games. But get, it but it know. works. They'll you know you'll get through the day. It's safe. But uh, when you're going to Chuck when you go, where they have to like stamp you and your kids <clears> so they. Match you up when you're going with when you're going uh, out with some friends, or if, let's say you got a good client coming into town. Like, where, where might you take them if you just want an interesting dinner? Or maybe they go to whiskey cake or something, right? Yeah, you know, one of these one-off, um, where you know, uh, operations where the every, everyone that's there is there because they're really good at what they do. It's really well managed. The end product is is obsessed over. So, I don't know. I could be wrong. If anyone... Uh... Anyways, I'm going to say when to quit. Okay. So, we talked about quit. We talked about uh, Benioff having a stake in quit. I don't know that we talked about that because I just... I just That hit the news this week. Like well, the... I remember talking about it. I okay. remember talking about how he had... A... I didn't know he had a stake in quit. Yeah, he had a stake in This is becoming a very recurring theme here. <laughs> what is? Benioff buying... Using Salesforce to buy his own personal stock out of companies. Well, I'm going to use this to segue into uh, NetSuite, but... Again, I'll save for that. All right. Um, yeah, so, so this is talking about Mark Benioff and his stake in Quip. Uh, so Salesforce bought Quip. And, and in this interview where he, he talks about the acquisition, um, I'll, I'll quote his words. He says, occasionally I end up in a company where I have a small position because I was an angel. And Salesforce is looking to acquire that company. I'll either try to divest before the acquisition, like in the example of Quip, I gave all my stock to UCSF before Salesforce bought the company, or I fully disclose it in the transaction, but these numbers have been very small. So at, at least at the moment, you know, for, for all the crap we give him about the acquisition and what he made or could have made out of it, um, he's saying that he actually does go to the board and make sure that everything's on the up and up, um, and where he can, he donates the proceeds from that acquisition. Where he can. So every every company that Salesforce has bought, where Mark Benioff's been an investor, he's get, he's donated all that money. Well, well the way he says it, it, it's been small. So I'm assuming it, I'm it assuming probably it's has been, I'm, uh, I'm assuming yeah. if he had like a NetSuite style stake, right? And and what and he right. wouldn't he wouldn't have done that. But I think because some of these acquisitions where he's had a smaller stake, it's it's kind of pocket change to him at this yeah. point. It, you know, it he is. gets he gets to stand on the higher. I'm I don't mean to sound facetious, but. He gets to stand on the higher ground and say, "Well, I donated that, or I cleared it with the board. You know, I'm not doing anything shady here. It's it's not. I'm not trying to, you know, richer get richer type mentality." Well, I, I definitely don't buy the clearing it with the board argument. What are they going to say? No. Well, I, I, I mean, it's it, it's going to happen either way because the board's going to look at everybody and who's who's invested and, and who's involved in this and and all that kind of stuff. That they're all going to look at it before well, they they have these M and A tar- targets. 
they all know who they're trying, who they're looking at. They're all going to do their research and say, yeah, this is a good fit for us. And, and it's going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, think about why Mark has decides to invest in the companies that he invests in because he believes in them. He's excited about them. So obviously when, when they have their M&A meetings, since he's going to be like, well, hey, let me talk to you about these companies because I'm, I think this would be great. I think this other one would be great. I think this would be great. I mean, well, you, I mean, you, I right? you got to think about it. Ben, Benioff that, is focused on cloud technology. He's, he's, his investments will probably be geared towards that because he has a lot of insider insight into that. So he's going to bet on, he's going to bet on, on the winners, I think. And those are the ones he's going to want to recommend to the M&A board. Well, if he, if he bet on the right kind of people, then yeah, sure. What well, that's, we don't know. They don't know. If Salesforce goes and buys them, then you, you just, you just killed your own bet. You just bet against your, you just bet against yourself. I mean, and the bet's done. I mean, now if someone else were to buy them and they had a su- successful exit, then it, then it evaluates Benioff's bet, his original bet. But if you, when you buy your own bet out, that doesn't validate anything except that you used your shareholders money in one company to buy your other company, which doesn't really prove much. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's, I think the wealth is spread, is spread. I, I don't want to say generously, but thinly. <laughs> and when you cast a wide enough net across the tech sector in an area like San Francisco, which, you know, you could throw a rock and hit a, hit a software company. Um, which is, which is, doesn't make your point though. There's a billion of these software companies and Mark Benioff always seems to have Salesforce buy the ones that he owns. Well, I'm just saying, I, yeah. I, I think, I, well, Salesforce you know, Ventures invests yeah. in a lot of these companies and Benioff that's himself we're talking invests about. in a lot of companies. We're, that's not we're talking We're talking about the companies that Mark Benioff personally <laughs> invests in. I, I don't know. I, I think that the tech sector isn't as big as we think it is. I think there's a lot of failed startups that, that come and go. Yeah. And and this happened to be from someone who who is a little bit smarter than than others, who who happens to have a a good network of of highly successful people, and and it's inevitable that he's going to run across people like Benioff and and Larry Ellison and and who else? Um, I don't who, even know who, who you're talking about. Who is this person you're talking about who runs across Mark Benioff and Larry Ellison? This is the one where where he wanted to work with with him so Brett bad. Taylor. Brett Taylor. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm in, not, in this case, I, it was just it was good networking. Maybe on Brett Taylor's part. <laughs> you should you should be uh, Mark Benioff's official apologist. I'm not apologizing for. I'm just saying it just makes sense. <laughs> what makes sense? Well, when you network these people, you're going to talk to them. They're going to believe in your story because you, you have this great relationship with them, and they'll be like, "Yeah, I want to invest in you." If I came to you with a story, you you think I'm an awesome? De- do you think I'm an awesome developer? Right. So, so right. If I can so do so you idea. invest in them, and then you convince me to go buy that company, so that you then get your your payout. Well, you okay? So so you're in command. Let's say you're you're in command. I of think some we beat this to death. Five billion dollar company, and I can we do really an idea, and you you feel confident in my ability, and you 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 like the story I'm telling, and you think in your head, yes, I'm going to invest in this. But you know what? This could be good for my company too. Let's see if he can make this work, and if he makes it work, then I can convince my board to to bring this in because I think it would be good for my software. Is that not a, a, a plausible scenario? Um, I don't know. Anyways, my only point in bringing this article is that he donated whatever he got from Quip to US, UCSF. I can never say that right. UCSF, which is the... What is this? I'm just going to start playing this until you're ready to be done with this topic. Ah. <laughs> you ready to move on, John? Can we move on? No, because I like this song. <laughs> so we're going to listen to it. You want to dance for me? 
All right, let's segue to NetSuite. I thought the NetSuite deal was 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 done and done. No, Ellison was going to make a ton of money, and and uh, you know NetSuite and, was going to had to go through all the approvals and whatever. Well, apparently it's not approved. No, yeah. <laughs> so apparently the issue is Ellison, the fact that Ellison owns so much stake in NetSuite that um, one of the investors is not approving the deal, and I believe it is T Rowe Price, <laughs> one of whose investors. NetSuite's investors. NetSuite's. Yeah. So they have, I think it said somewhere around 18, 20%. And these giant funds. And their big issue is the fact that Ellison's going to make so much money. You know what's funny? And this just goes to show you this, how just incestuous this all is. Uh, that is Salesforce's, I believe, second largest investor, T. Rowe Price. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Well, well, here's another thing that, that concerned me and, and genuinely concerned me. This was from an article uh, from The Information. And, and so they have these little takeaway things that they inject into it. Basically, what they feel the takeaway from this article is. And it says, NetSuite has become dependent on acquisitions for revenue growth, but it doesn't have much cash to make them. If Oracle walks away Wait, from... Wait, are they talking about NetSuite or Salesforce? NetSuite. Okay. Hold on. Just making oh. sure, because it's... <laughs> sounds <laughs> it like have a familiar much story. Cash to make them. If Oracle walks away from its acquisition offer, NetSuite has few choices but to shuffle along with a lackluster revenue growth until Oracle comes back with another one. And the, the article does center around the fact that, well, if, if they walk away from buying NetSuite, they'll just wait another year and say, are you ready for us to buy you now? T. Rowe Price, are you really ready to accept oh. this? Because they're not growing. And why would, T. Rowe, no why would T. Rowe, T. Rowe Price not want Oracle to buy NetSuite? Wouldn't that be a great exit for them? I, I, maybe they don't want an exit. I mean, I, I didn't know. read the article, so I'm, I'm depending on your analysis here. I don't know. It doesn't no. really even cover that. There you um, go, folks. Uh, ex- expert analysis brought to you by John Santiago. No, uh, what I'm saying is the article doesn't really go into what T. T- Rowe Price's pr- position on this is because it's basically saying that they don't understand why T. Rowe Price is, is objecting to this mm. other than, than Ellison's stake, large stake in it, and the fact that he's going to make out. Mm. He's a stakeholder. Not just a, maybe, not just a shareholder. Maybe T. Rowe's been, <laughs> been trying to get to buy some of Ellison's equity and he's refused for so long and and they want to make more out of this deal. Yeah, man, I I need a. Uh, <clears throat> can we move on? But no, 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 no. Oh my god. Okay. Because I, I want to ask you, even though you already injected yourself into it, that sounds like Salesforce. Yeah. It, Sales. I'm gonna I'm gonna reword this, and for every every word that it says Netsuite, I'm gonna say Salesforce. Salesforce has become dependent on acquisitions for revenue growth, but it doesn't have much cash to make them. If Oracle walks away from its acquisition offers, Net. Uh, sorry, Salesforce has few choices but to shovel along with lackluster revenue growth until Oracle comes back with another one. That seems like a plausible scenario for Salesforce, especially since most of their growth these last few years has been acquisitions. And, and also, um, NetSuite was one of Salesforce's acquisition targets that was leaked. So It was, which is interesting. But yeah. I mean, as everyone will say, every company out there in the world will say this, and hey, we look at everything. We don't yeah. buy everything, but we look at everything. Yeah, it's It's just responsible business, I guess. Yeah. It's just a. It's just what everyone says. <laughs> All right. Um, so we had this big denial of service attack that took down half the internet last week. Remember that? And that was um, another case of uh, IoT security failure strikes again. Why IoT? Did you not read any of this? No. Why the internet went down? Okay. No. So basically, whoever created this attack was able to compromise hundreds of millions of IoT devices, like cameras and all kinds of different little 
gadgets with a certain thing that was made by some Chinese company. Any of them that had this chip or little circuit board in it. But yeah, IoT is turning uh, you know our homes into data centers with no administrators and no security team. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So some uh, chief. Oh no. So it was it was uh, directed at this company Dyne. I guess they're they're big DNS provider DYN. And their chief strategy officer said that the hackers launched a so-called, so-called. Why does people say so-called? It's a distributed denial of service attack. It's no, there's nothing so-called about it. What does that word even mean anymore? Anyway, uh, they use... a way of saying air quotes without ten, saying air quotes. I guess so. Tens of millions of malware-infected devices. Uh, so security professionals have been anticipating an increase. I guess I'm a security professional now. Have been anticipating an increase in attacks coming from malware that targets the Internet of Things, and this is what I've been saying for since I don't know. We've been talking about IoT. Americans are, are oh um, yeah. Um, there's a survey. Um, Americans are uneasy with IoT devices like those used in the Dyn DDoS attack. Yeah, so this company, Hong oh gosh, Hong Hongzhou Xiaomei. Xiaomai? Xiaomai. Xiaomai. <laughs> this is a <laughs> Chinese lesson here for you. Said that it will recall... No, a lesson from you. You can't pronounce it. Millions of cameras sold in the U.S. Is it, there were cameras. My gosh. It was a giant botnet of Chinese cameras. That just goes to show you, buy Japanese cameras. They're better. <laughs> and they're, not, they're better and they're not compromised. You're talking about your iPhone as a Japanese camera. Experts. A Chinese camera. It probably is. But it's from an American company, so maybe that does that does that whitewash <laughs> no, it of no, it doesn't work that way. Chinese doesn't work that way. Make it or Chinese companies to make it. Experts blame smart fridges, DVRs, and other IoT devices on why you're enter. Oh, these were <clears throat> I, I grabbed some some headlines here. I thought were funny. Uh, experts blame yeah, smart fridges, DVRs, and other IoT devices for why your internet went down. Another one was we left the internet vulnerable to hackers. Now we're paying the price. I, I don't understand. We left the internet vulnerable to hackers, and now we're paying the price. How, how is this the internet's fault? Wasn't it hardware? A hardware hack? Yeah, but it's, it's all enabled by the internet. Oh, oh. There are, this, here's, here's an interesting number. There are 10 billion IoT devices right now, but by 2020, which is really only like, what, four years away? Less than four years? Three years? 50 billion devices. Uh, to me, that's like blaming the phone for a social hack. I I just... No, it's just the phone... The, that, that it enables it. I mean, well, right? To that degree, your phone bl- enables you, you to call someone up and get some. You don't, bl- some you don't blame the phone, but without the phone, it wouldn't be possible, right? What you blame here is the lack of security on these devices, on this whole IoT thing. You know what? Let's go back to rubbing sticks together and making fire. I mean, pretty soon your man baby toothbrush with an IP address is going to be. Oh, it's uh, going to be hacked. It's going to be in a it's part gonna, of a bondage. It's going to resonate. And you know what? You know microwaves what? Microwaves into my brain and tell about me it. to do something. No, right? no, no, no. And here, no, because. The botnet people don't care about you. They're just using your device as one of tens or hundreds of millions of others to to coordinate these DDoS attacks. They yeah. don't care about it. They're not against that's, you. Yeah, that's true. In fact, most people, all these, especially Windows users, my probably my parents, for example, they pro, their computer's probably totally compromised, but they don't care. It doesn't affect them. These are not malicious towards the computer owners, the device owner. It does. It's not trying to format their hard drive or steal any of their information, anything like that. It's simply using their internet connection to... Send you know a bunch of packets or pings or whatever it is to these. Right. In this case, to a DNS s- system. Anyway, yeah, that makes sense. I get it. 
So Balmer said that he never wanted to buy Salesforce. He said, never, ever, ever. Uh, when asked if he thought the deal was the one that got away, <laughs> Balmer held up his hands and said, look, I'm a guy who actually believes in revenue and profit. I really do. And you can dilute <laughs> something and get nothing back. I'll just tell you, I could never make the math work on Salesforce. Never, ever, 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 never. That's a direct quote. <laughs> Although I didn't make any, I didn't add any additional words in there. He he might not be wrong. I mean, again, I I go back to the model itself. Is the model something that can be successful? I think so. I, I really do think it is. I just, I just think um, Benioff and the and the team are having fun growing this thing like crazy. So, so you think it's more of a matter of and, trying to grow and, too fast? No. Y- yes. I mean, well, too fast if you want profit. But why do you care about profit? Listen, they're all they're all billionaires or, or multi hundred millionaires. They've made their money. Now they just want to grow this thing and have fun and be the next of Facebook or Apple or something. Well, th- there comes a point, at least in my opinion, where at some point money doesn't matter, and then it becomes a, about power. The the power that that's allowed that's allotted to you based on what you've got going on. Right. Salesforce gives Benioff a lot of power. So as long as you figure out how it to... It gives him a voice. These guys have figured out how to personally become billionaires and multimillionaires without, without ever making a profit. They figured out how to pay their, employer, their employees by whipping up shares of stock out of thin air. So why not? So profit doesn't matter. And they're selling it. I mean, for crazy. 17... No, for now, how long have they been profit? Or have they been public? 10 years? For 10 years, it's been you know lip service about profitability to the investor community. No, because they're focused on stakeholders, not that's right, not shareholders. Yeah. Until the shareholders decide, yeah, you're not going to do that. Segue into Twitter. <laughs> I, I know we've kind of talked about this a lot, but there, there was a recent video that was posted on our Slack channel, and I don't remember who posted it, but um, that's where I got awareness of this CNET article. You have that video? I do. Well, I have a link to a video. Yeah. We'll play it. All right. Is there going to be a pre-roll here? Shouldn't be. Dun, 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 well, it was very simple, which is that um, uh, our stockholders uh, uh, heard that we uh, were involved in a process, and uh, they made it very clear that they did not want us to um, buy that company. And um, so very specifically, we had to walk away. That's all. I, I, I love the CEO. I love the company. I love the brand. I love everything about Twitter. Did he say CEO? He said CEO, which caught me off, but I think he was trying to say CEO. Well, that's, that's weird because pretty much all the analysts are saying, I mean, the real problem, with, I mean, uh, the, okay, bottom line is the CEO of Twitter should be fired. He's, they brought him back in. He's been there a year. Nothing's improved. He needs to be fired. Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey. I love that name. It's like a, he's from like a spy novel or something. <laughs> Jack Dorsey. Like, like in 24 hours or something? <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> oh, is that the, what's the show called? Are you thinking of the, what's the popular show with the, the is it called 24? I think it's called 24. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, I, I never watched that, but I guess so. I don't, I don't know. It just sounds like something. Right. Twitter, but our uh, stockholders don't, and um, I listen to them. They're an important part of our family and how we uh, do business at Salesforce. So, so I want you to pay attention to the, to the way he worded that. Initially, he said stakeholders, and now he said shareholders. 
Well, no, he said stockholders. He's, I thought he said stakeholders. Okay, let's go first. back. Let's go back. This is important. Um, Got to get this right. Uh, our stockholders. Okay, he said stockholders. Uh, heard that we. Uh, uh, go forward here. Were to walk away. That's all. I, I I love the CEO. I love the company. I love the brand. I love everything about Twitter. But our uh, stockholders don't, and um, I listen to them. They're an important part of our family and how we uh, do business at Salesforce. But is there a price at which Twitter would make sense as an acquisition for Salesforce? No, because you see that our stockholders are so uh, uh, adamantly against us. Uh, acquiring- I mean, you're talking about eight eight people sitting around a table. That was their stockholders. <laughs> I, I love her question. I love that she directly answered it. Is there a price for this? Yeah. Was it, which, which leads to the point is, was, was it a cost issue? Meaning the board didn't want to spend this much money on Twitter. I don't think, okay, so it's got to, surely it was a partially a cost issue. But I don't also think it was at all. It's the dilutive effect of Twitter. The fact that you're, when you add Twitter, now you're losing even more money than you were before at a faster rate. I don't, I don't think at any price. I think, I think if, if Twitter was a dollar a share, they wouldn't have bought it. Why not? There has to be a reason not. I, I think it's because they would, again... There's no made, value in it. There's nothing they can do well, with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, can, you can try to draw your dotted lines into support and the data stream and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't make Salesforce a better CRM or a better service application. It just, just doesn't. I think there's also the distraction aspect that a lot of people are concerned about. Exactly. So they would have to have a change of heart for us to be able to uh, move forward. But there must be something fundamentally about the company that you think is a very good fit for Salesforce. Well, I think that uh, there could be a lot of uh, possibilities, but, it, you know, uh, what happened is, is the deal leaked. You saw that. And then when it did leak, um, our stockholders, I was at the Dreamforce conference. You probably know we had 170,000 people in San Francisco, yes. including all of our major stockholders. Yeah, and uh, we were in a room with 200 of them. It was webcast. It was live. I'm sure you tuned into it, and they, they voted their displeasure. And the reality is, it's not my company. You know, I, I'm a stockholder. I'm a significant stockholder. They're also significant stockholders. Our company is made up of many uh, key stakeholders. They are certainly one of them. And I run this company in partnership, in partnership with our employees, with our customers and our partners, and our stockholders, too. Uh, that's important. It's even why I'm at this conference, because women are a critical part of what we do at Salesforce, and that's why women are as important stakeholders. Are- that, that was a um, kind of a, a, what do you that, call that? When that you, was a, a, cheap, I, a cheap diversion, wasn't I, it? I, I want to stop talking about he, this Twitter he thing. Literally, he literally just used women. He did. That's He's disgusting. like, I want to stop talking about this Twitter thing. Let's talk about women. Let's talk about ah, this thing that I'm here for. That's gross. But, uh, you know, going back into it, it, he kept saying they. It wasn't, you know, we decided. It wasn't that we looked at it and we decided it wasn't this, it wasn't that. It was they. I, I think that was, it was him. the shareholders yeah, that said, right. no, you can't do this, Benny. And he's been very clear about that. I think the problem is that that shareholder meeting leaked and the contents and some direct quotes from it. Well, I call BS because he, he says it happened around the Dreamforce time frame, but this whole Twitter acquisition and rumor meal has been Dude, started way we talked before about, that. I told you about this last week. Right after his keynote, he had to book it over to the hotel to talk to them. I know that, but okay. I, I'm saying all of this started before that. So it's, it wasn't that this just kind of suddenly happened at Dreamforce. It just so happened. No, but that, the, the 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 all these hedge funds descended upon San Francisco during Dreamforce because they knew they could get Benioff there. Yeah, that, that uh, that's the point I'm I'm trying to lead up to <laughs> okay. is that that this all happened before that. Yeah, and they knew where he was going to be at, and they yeah. said, "Let's do this." Right, we're here. No excuses. Get over here. Yep, and don't bring Einstein with you. 
<laughs> oh, can I can I rant about Einstein a little bit? Okay, we gotta get you to your process builder thing. Speaking of speaking okay, of, okay, so a, this is a short rant. Okay, have you you've logged into Salesforce numerous times, right? Um, three or four, I think. I mean, through the UI, not not through the web UI, not not through. Your, okay, sure. Have you have you seen the the Einstein with the binoculars picture? I think so, but I just I I fly through that login is screen. That not, to me, that's creepy. Let me, let me go look at it. Why did they break? I mean, not only are they appropriating Einstein to sell CRM software, but now they're making him out to be the stalker perv with binoculars. Well, what is he looking at? That's a good question. Let's let me read what is he supposed to be looking at? I'm looking at? at it now here. So email just got smarter with Salesforce inbox powered by Einstein. See how, yeah, I don't understand that. I guess he's looking out for your data for you. He's finding things that you can't see with a naked eye. So he, Maybe that's what it is. He's, that's, being, that's a a metaphor. he's being your, your data no, stalker. Uh, whatever. He's peeking under the covers to see what you got going on so he can make some... You're, you're reaching a little far here, John. It's creepy. I, no, I log it's in not. I see Einstein looking at me with binoculars. He is looking at you. That's true. But he's, 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 he's finding things that you can't see with a naked eye. That, that's, that's on point, as they would say, on message. I don't know. I think it's a marketing fail to me. <sighs> I don't, I don't want to see Einstein peeking through binoculars at me. This can't please you, John. No, he can't. Um, so, uh, there is a survey out there, or some kind of study. There's a consult or an uh, analyst company called Evans Data. The number of developers actively developing in a cloud environment reached 5.4 million in 2016, according to Evans Data Corp, um, their Ooh. global development population and demographic study, which is the de facto standard in developer population estimates, according to Evans. Wait a minute, does that include Amazon? No, but here's, here's, what, I, here's what I'm noticing. So there are 5.4 million developers working in cloud. Well, I got to say, Congratulations, Salesforce. Because 3 million. 50, of, 55% of them are working on Salesforce exactly. based on these numbers. And it may be higher than that because listen to this. 4 million developers are using the cloud as a development environment today. So the, the 5.4 was people that are included, people who are building something for cloud, but it's not there yet. There are only 4 million who are using the cloud as a development environment today. That means that 75% of them are Salesforce developers. So Salesforce has 75% of all developers doing anything cloud-related. Now, do they draw a line? This is impressive. For developers? John. This is impressive. Wait wait a minute. Are we talking real developers here, though? Yes. Yeah, developers. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be mean by saying real developers. I just mean declarative versus... No, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You're, you're, the one, you're not the one who changed the de definition of developer, so you don't have to apologize. Uh, I feel like I have to. No. I feel like if I don't, I'm going to get flogged. So that's that's where we are now. We're, we're, we're feeling we have to apologize for using yes. what should be... Fairly standard terms. Yes. Yeah. That, that is the world we live in. I have to apologize for everything I say because I might have said it wrong that, and it might have offended somebody. Some, some other numbers here. Six million developers are currently involved in big data and advanced analytics. Well, hell, I'm a data scientist. Uh, yeah, of course Didn't you know are. that? Yeah, we discovered that last week, right? I said I was a data scientist. Right. 250 an hour, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't really know what I'm doing. That's probably on the low end too, John. I'll tell you this. I don't really know what I'm doing when it comes to data scientists. Jeremy's much better because he's he's got a Six Sigma black belt. I don't. No, that's true. But Benny yeah. said I can handle it using his tools. So uh, right. 250 an hour. Point and click. Call me. Point and click. Call me. <laughs> Call me. Let's do this. There are speaking of uh, IoT. There are two million developers working on IoT applications. That's up 34 percent from last year. <clears throat> nice. My toothbrush is in good hands. You don't have one of those, do you? No. Okay. I don't either. I do have a I do. I do have a Philips though, but it's not the man baby version. Yeah, those are cool. 
of a they're, sonic they air. They got that rounded tip and everything. You can get, you can get really <laughs> in the back of it. Oh, the sonic that. air? Yeah, you can't do that with a regular I know, and I, have, I still have my wisdom teeth, so it's, it's actually hard. I have to really work to get all of the way back. Get those suckers pulled, man. They don't, there's nothing wrong with them. Well, so, that's major surgery. I'm not going to go through that. Come on, man. Your dentist is counting on you. Your <laughs> dentist's child college fund is, is counting on you getting your wisdom teeth pulled. Right. Well, sorry. Get it done. Stimulate the economy. I, hey, I'll just use my Obamacare. I'm sure it'll pay for it, right? <laughs> Let's not get into that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> since, I'm getting, since I'm having my insurance canceled for the third year in a row since Obamacare went into service. I, I, I have, uh, I coined the term, you must unit test your insurance every year. Go for a physical to your normal doctor and make sure every year that they will continue to take your insurance. It, That's I, called the insurance unit, unit test. test. <laughs> That's more of like a... It's more of a, like a ping, like a, an uptime it's test. It's a functional it's a ping, test. It's a ping it's a test. test. No, it's, already it's, ping test. Yeah, yeah. it's already in production. You just want to make sure it's still running. Because <laughs> I will tell you, my wife, we, we've, we, we had this new insurance and she tried to go to a normal doctor who, who was supposed to be on the plan. Turns out there's different, dif, differing opinions on the matter. Sometimes they don't even list, know. On one list they're on, on another right. list they're not. Yep. And so she's having to fight over, are, are, are we covered or not? And the, the, the other problem is, I, was, I said, screw it. Let's not deal with it. Pay cash. We weren't allowed to pay cash because we had this insurance and it had to go through them. Right, because they're, they I'm are... Like, I by, don't care. By taking my wife and, is yeah, sick. Yeah. I will pay you whatever you want yeah. to treat her, by, but they couldn't. Their contracts with insurance companies bar them from doing cash deals. I don't, I don't understand. No, this is the system we have. This is wrong. I don't, let's move on. We're going to start going to Canada for our health care. Do they take cash? No, there's there's. Oh, they, come, they come here. That's right. I forgot. Well, <laughs> they, they come have, here. They have private doctors they have to pay extra for. But it's not illegal there. You can do it there. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's... yeah. All right, John. I'm, I'm all tapped out. What, let's do your uh, process builder oh. dissertation. Uh, you want some drama first? Do I want some drama? Yeah. Sure. We're on the drama. <laughs> So this is another information article. Uh, LinkedIn diffused protest over Microsoft deal or how they diffused it. I think this is kind of interesting because... Who, who's protesting the Microsoft deal besides Benioff? Well, that's the drama. Okay, okay. That's the drama. So apparently Benioff went to Sugar CRM and said, hey, this whole Microsoft thing where they're not going to share data, this is wrong. Come join me in, in trying to block this EU deal because, that's, because it was already approved in the US. So the only time... The only thing left to protest is the EU, um, whatever the equivalent. Uh, I don't know what they're. Yeah, the group that the group that says whether or not this is this is a monopoly or not, basically. Yep. Um, <laughs> and so apparently, what Microsoft is saying is that they have this partnership program where you can get all this information from LinkedIn, all this data. Now, it's not deep-seated data. It's not the deep-seated data that Benioff wants because they kind of exposed what he feels is the value of LinkedIn data, and that's the, 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 the way people are connecting, who they're connected to and the way they're connected to. Not so much their name or their profile information. He doesn't care about that because we all have that already with other things. Yeah. So what he wants to know is how they're connected, why they're connected. So he wants that really deep-seated information, which is why, he's pro, why he really wants this LinkedIn data. Um, but it's interesting because it, it, it kind of... Ex talks about how Microsoft is trying to quell this by saying, well, now join our par partnership program. We'll give you some of this data. Mm. You know, and, and so it's kind of taking the rug out 
from under. Now, Sugar Serum hasn't made a decision, apparently, on which way they want to go. And that's, it's, it's already been approved in the U.S., so what are the, I mean... I don't think I don't it's going to go anywhere, but, but it's interesting to, to see that, that Benioff has tried to reach out and create this coalition against yeah. this deal with other CRM providers saying, hey, you know, this is valuable data. We should all want this. We should all have access to this. And... I don't know. I think the salient question at this point is... What difference at this point does it make? Because... Well, God damn it, you know, it's a fucking cloud. <laughs> Uh, how, how about our newest win? Oh, yeah. This is, uh, you ready? I need a drum roll. This is, if anyone watches Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you might recognize this voice. You ready? Is this the one you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs> Love it. That was a gem of a find. Yeah, it was. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you that, watched See, this though. is what happens if you watch a TV show. You'll find these I, things. I know, I know. Maybe I should. All in the interest of the show. Yep. All right, let's get to Process Builder. Oh, my gosh. Okay. We got to get moving. How do you feel about Process Builder? Well, I think it's, um, it's, I do think it's interesting. I think it's innovative. Um, I think it's good for certain scenarios. I think it's tricky to know when you should have not used it. And, it's tricky and, to rock yeah. around, to rock around. That's right on time. It's tricky. Tricky, tricky, tricky. Don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't I'm know. Surprised. I, I, I think I'm surprised it, I think, to, say, to hear you say it's innovative. I do think it's innovative. It's just, is it there yet? It's not there yet. That's, right. the, that's the truth of the matter. Right. I, I want to read something to you. Okay. So, so this, is, this is a post on the uh, forums. This is uh, Michael DiMeglio. But did, did you see the Stack Overflow post that they, or Stack Exchange, whatever it was, that the guy was like, laid out this case of basically... No, this, this is going back in time. Okay. This, this, is, a, this is a time travel article. Okay. Uh, process builder error handling. I have a simple process which updates all child records when the parent is updated. The problem I'm having is that occasionally a child record will have some data that was entered prior to a validation rule being created. When the process rule runs, this child record fails validation and in turn causes the process to fail, returning a pretty cryptic error to the user. Is there a way to gracefully handle these errors like, like these in process builder? And, and this was March 26, 2015. And uh, so Sagar Parikh responded to this. He was one of the first responders that says, no, you cannot handle these errors in Process Builder. Process Builder is not finished product yet. Still in beta. Okay. Was that so the source person? This was around the time when Process Builder was announced. It was released. We all thought we'd get to do all this cool crap with it. Guess what? Still can't handle freaking errors. Okay. What do you get? You know when you don't handle an error correctly, you get the Salesforce. It well, it I call it the Salesforce error, but it's basically just your content is not loaded. You get this um, bolded header with the the message, and then you get some description text. It, it basically the app yeah. craps itself. Okay. Yeah. It's the blue screen. If you don't like of if, Salesforce. If you let an exception bubble up, then Salesforce. You know, that's how they show it. Well, it's not, it's not, yeah, if you don't have Apex messages or whatever, something to handle or retrieve that error. Yeah. Actually, it's not even that. It, it's just a global just failure. It's, okay. It's a blue, I, I feel I'm accurately describing it as the blue screen. Oh, you're talking about when Salesforce has an unhandled error. Or are you talking about like when a Visual Force page has an unhandled error? When Salesforce has, has a major failure, so it displays its error message, which is unstyled. It's just text. You have the bold 
Is this when you have when you have the, the error number, like the GAC number, and all that stuff? Uh, possibly in certain situations. Okay. Yeah, that's what you get yeah. when you get a process builder error. Okay. The, the that, was, original... that, that was over a year ago. Okay. Well, let's come to today. What happens? I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping you're going to tell me that. You get the same damn error. Yeah. You get a very cryptic error. In fact, I will read you one of the errors because I have it saved on my screen. Workflow action failed to trigger flow. This is in bold. Hold on. I want Jeremy to see this. Blue screen. Salesforce blue screen of death. Yeah, failed to trigger flow. I've seen yeah. those. Yeah. There's no other content. You still have your sidebar. You still have your tabs, but you have a white. And you get an email, right? With, with more information usually. Well, here, here's the thing. It says the record couldn't be saved because it failed to trigger a flow. A flow trigger failed to execute the flow with version ID. No one cares. Flow error message. And here's the thing. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's trading the, the, the markup that's within the error, error message as just plain text. So you get these and LT, which is angle brackets. Oh, like ampersand. Yeah, and stuff. which is trying to create, create some kind of, I don't know what it's trying to do. And to, it's, it's, in case you want to render this message in some kind of decent way, uh, then interpret this HTML. <laughs> <laughs> an unhandled fault has occurred in this flow. And un, it, it repeats itself. An unhandled fault has occurred, in, occurred while processing the flow. Why repeat yourself? What, what the hell is that for? Please contact your system administrator for more information. Con Again, it repeats itself. Contact your administrator for help. What the hell is up with these damn error messages? Well, it's just, yeah, it's, it's probably, I mean, I still, don't you consider Process Builder in beta still? Someone pointed out something the other well, day. And Salesforce I know it, has said it, it's there, it's there to use, people are using well, it. Even I have succumbed to the fact that it's a year later and, and Process Builder should be okay to use. People are coming to me with requirements and, and other people are going, hey, I got that handled. I can do that in process. So I go, okay, cool. I don't have to worry see, about I that. See, I don't. I don't say cool. I say, well, if we're going to have I mean, if we're going to have any triggers, any Apex code, I'd, I would rather keep it out of Process Builder. Well, I've gotten lazy. I have so much on my plate that if someone says they can do something in Process Builder, I'm like, all right, go for I it. I don't, because I'm also, I'm also the person responsible usually for setting up and running a deployment process where we deploy the whole org. And processes are still there. Actually, I think, they're, I think they're, they come across as flows. But the way they handle these versions and things, it's real... Going from one org to another, it, it's very, it's very difficult. It, it just doesn't. It's like it wasn't. They didn't think about deployment when they when they designed how the metadata for flows works. No, they didn't. Yeah. But there, there's other flaws in the metadata. Um, but but before I get into that, um, the whole reason I bring this up is because I have a client who we did, you know, we and other consultants who are involved in this org and building this thing have built out. Quite a few processes, because it, you know, Salesforce tells us here's a tool, mm -hmm. do it to do this. Well, it's breaking a bunch of crap. We implemented some new um, data duplication prevention rules. So, so Salesforce has this new duplication rules things that you can implement and and to prevent duplicates. Now the rule, the rule is a little too uh, restrictive. It's based on email address, so we have a lot of websites who are feeding into Salesforce real time that are that are hitting that, but they're producing the right kind of error. But for for other things, like anything that's involved with Process Builder, it doesn't show you that error. It doesn't say, hey, there's a duplicate email address. It doesn't say, hey, there's a validation rule that this validation rule that failed. 
or whatever rule that you configure that said, here's the error messages to display when this happens, that's not getting pushed through. So all you get is this generic hard fail. Yeah. Integrations are, are getting impacted. And, and here's the other issue, is the fact that we don't know what happened. We have, we have to go back to whoever deployed it because they're the ones that get, they're going to get the email that, that kind of tries to outline what happened, why this is failing. So, so we, have, we have people who are trying to research and find out why this is failing. And I'm going to read to you one of the errors. Let's see. So this error I triggered and forced it to fail. And it says, error occurred. Error occurred attempting to get data for raw field IMPL table name account this column is, this name is Java stuff here. PB we're, underscore underscore yeah, C. We're in Java land here. <laughs> and you know what this error really <clears throat> is? Now, what do you think this error is? I have no idea. It says, error occurred attempting to get data type for. I'm thinking know. maybe, maybe... Maybe we sent the wrong data type. Maybe this integration failed because it sent a string instead of a number. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. We're, we're talking data type here, right? Right. No. It's because the field name changed. Okay. So that's another thing I was going to mention was that, yeah, you can, you can uh, with process, you can create processes that, that, that uh, have dependencies on fields, objects mm -hmm. and fields, but then you can go rename those objects and fields, and the process doesn't know. It's none the wiser, right? And now, no, stand with workflow. If you change a field name, it propagates that change. Because if you look at the metadata for a workflow rule, and let's say, in this case, my field name is pb underscore underscore c, and I change it to pb2 underscore underscore c. Mm -hmm. Now, I had a workflow rule that did, did the exact same thing that By the process way, builder did. Terrible name for a field. Well, it's process builder. Oh, you don't control that? No, I did this to test oh, okay. the errors. <laughs> I, I know what the errors I are. Gotcha. I, I did this on purpose. Um, so what I did is I changed that to two. No warning that said, hey, no. this thing is dependent on that, like we do with code. Somehow or another, I mean... the workflow doesn't give you an error either when you change that. If, no, if the only dependency is workflow, the it just updates yeah. the references. Right. Because they're obviously with workflows, it must be keeping track of the fields by their IDs, not by their names or something. And... Maybe on the back end, but on, on the metadata API, the metadata API it exposes it as the field name, which is odd. In workflow? Yeah. Yeah, but you but under the hoods, like when you submit that metadata and save it, you don't know how they're storing that internally. They could have direct references. Right, or exactly. or it could be that when you do a rename, it goes and searches for any workflow that referenced that field name and then does like a replace oh, to the new field name. It refactored like it. Right. How about that? I mean, this you know, I don't know. What 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 are, what are we supposed to say? I mean, Process Builder it is what it is. It's got a lot of. I mean, there's you know they've improved a lot about it since it was originally released. I mean, they've have it. It somewhat uh, handles bulk records better. I know there's still issues with it. Um, there's yeah, there's and, issue this this issue you just had, which is you know you renamed a field and you you didn't know. I mean, there's my complaint about it. You know, it's it's difficult to handle on the, from the metadata perspective, but it's I'm sure. They're probably working on these things. Um, you know, one day, like I said, it's a. I'm, I believe it's a work in progress. I still think this is for small orgs with maybe a, a part time admin or something. That's you know, if you've got a bigger org, um, I don't recommend Process Builder yet. There, there are plenty of stories of people who have who have embraced Process Builder and have been 
bitten by it. Oh yeah. Well, there's a lot of these. I hear I've been hearing a lot of these products that you're working on, which is which are these. We're going to mass. We're going to completely uh, get rid of all of our processes and do this like mass re-implementation of these as Apex. And, and that's the position I'm in. Uh, you know, when I when I said someone said they could build this in process builder, I was like, okay, cool. It, it's t- it's handled. I can focus on this other stuff that I have to de- actually develop for. It's not some workflow rule or something that has to be that requires some querying of some extra data or anything like that. I don't have to worry about that because you say you can do this in Process Builder. So I can focus on building new user interfaces, new complex business logic that I that I, that's on my plate. And and we're a team. We're in a team in this org that's it's it's gigantic. It's got a lot of complex code. It's got a lot of bad code in it that we all have to dance around. And 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 we we embraced this technology. We, the, the team itself had embraced Process Builder. Well, maybe that wasn't and, and a wise say, decision. Well, Salesforce every year over you year has cannot, said, has said you, cannot you can take, build this, you can do no, this, you can do this okay. with Process Builder. Are you saying that we all take what Salesforce says as gospel? Come on. It's a tool you that they provide, that in, and why shouldn't we be using it? Because you can't use that as an excuse. You're a professional, and Salesforce is here to sell you stuff, and they're here to market. You've been so a Dreamforce. Are, are you saying that we shouldn't use Process Builder at all? I, I think I already gave my kind of my constraints on how, when I would use Process Builder. When? 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 when I, use I would only Builder? use Process Builder. I would only recommend Process Builder for small orgs who have like a part-time admin, and they're you know they just need it for a few simple small things. You and I are deep in the ecosystem. We know this stuff. I, we know how much BS I, okay, marketing I was, produces. Okay, I know. I'm just saying. Okay, let me say the other side of that is as process builder is right now, I will not work with it. I won't allow it to be used on projects I work on. And I know that's frustrating because I work with other consultants who are the more, more of the um, declarative types. They're not software engineers. And this, this is a thing that to them is very powerful. And it's like, well, they can do things that before you could only do in triggers. And I understand that I get it, but I have to always explain, listen, I understand that, you might want to do this as this because it's something you can do now, but here's why we probably shouldn't do it. All right. And, and, and that's a tough pill for them, some of them to swallow. It is. Very tough. There, there are, I want to say, millions of articles out there from, and, Salesforce, from the Salesforce ecosystem, from MVPs I know, I know. Who, are, who are illustrating, oh, you can do this on Process Builder. Look what you can do with Process Builder now. So, Look at all this mm, cool stuff yeah. you can do. No, and you're making me, I do agree with you that Salesforce, again, I'll say that I think they've been irresponsible and the and the messaging they've sent to admins about what they should be doing with process builder, and that's the point I'm trying to lead up to is the, is the fact that Salesforce, as a what eight billion eight billion dollar company now, a yep. software company, released no, no process, software. Ross is re- <laughs> released process builder way too early. It's not a finished product. It's still a beta product. I mean, yeah. What is the fact finished? that it doesn't even bubble the, up errors correctly? John, it completely takes over the UI. You're not even on the same record you were on before. I, I can talk to you similar things about Apex, problems with Apex, bugs in the but system. That doesn't affect users as much. Nothing. We can do things to mitigate that. We can Some produce things. certain kinds of Some error handling. Things. We maybe there's something we can't develop, but, but because we can't you're develop, just, it, you're it just making get you're to just users. making a judgment call that the things are wrong that are process builder you think are the worse than the things that are wrong with Apex, and that's fine. That's your opinion. Yes, because we do those in sandbox. That's your opinion, but you can we choose you can choose we what to use or what not to use. Well, you can do anything you want in sandbox. You can do all these things in sandbox first. We have to. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. We have to do it in, in sandbox. But you can do all your process builder stuff in sandbox first too and test it there. You can, but most people don't. Well, there's professional editions that don't have sandboxes. Well, they do now, but there's no deployment path. Anyways, right. there, there's people who. In professional edition that def- that 
depend on Process Builder. That's all they have to do some of this other stuff. Well, what they do before Salesforce even had any before Process Builder existed? They couldn't do it. Okay, that's what but they now, bought. Now that's, told, that's the software they bought. Now they're told they can do it. Now they're, well, no. no, new customers are sold on the fact that they can do it with Process oh. Builder. And, now, and, and the reality is, it's not ready. It's I, not I implemented well. Right. It's not integrated with the platform as well as it should be. The fact that it can't bubble up errors correctly is a problem. The fact that the dependency checking isn't there is an issue. You know, they could fix all those things. Um, and I still have the fundamental issue with Process Builder. Of I've seen admins that have created, you know, they've got all these tons of processes to the point that it's very hard to, to get a quick snapshot with Process Builder of what these things do. Yeah. And then to be able to dig in quickly and see how they're, and see how they're related to all this stuff. Whereas with well-written Apex and a good IDE, man, I can jump right through and pretty quickly see every, see what's happening with any given object or whatever. And it's hard with Process Builder. It is. It reminds me of, do you remember, this was, gosh, back early 2000s, I guess, when, what were these tools, like MDA, Model Driven, or MDD, where you would, an EDA, was EDA also? I can't remember, but you would, um, these tools, uh, IBM had them and some other companies, you could literally drag and drop, you know, create these flow charts and then it would, it was going to write, or you, or you would create your UML diagrams, your class diagrams, all these things, and you click a button and it basically writes all the code for you. Remember, that was going to be the thing. Yeah. Well, there was Visual Java. And it just turns out that that's that going to be the thing. I don't even remember that. I don't know what that was. Oh, that, that's what killed me on Java. Visual Java? Never yeah. heard of it. Right, anyway, but yeah, um, that was how, that was how we were going to write software was, you know, you, you make all the diagrams of your different classes mm -hmm. and objects, all these things. Yep. And then you hit a button and it generates a code generator. It generates, it generates code for you. Mm -hmm. um, or also that you would define all your logic in these, in these um, big flowcharts. Well, it actually turns out flowcharts are not a very good way because they don't scale to the level that software, and they're not, they're, just, they're not a good abstraction for how, for the logic that's involved in software. Yeah, I mean, for, for simple, you know, yes, no logic, that's fine. But sometimes the logic is a little more complex than a simple single yes no answer right and then when you consider like um inheritance and and object orientation things like that now now this thing can be actually an abstract thing with a right. different implant it's like it just yeah. doesn't scale at all and it's like right. i mean okay i guess you know dr design your software in in flowcharts but that it, it's it doesn't work very well and just i, I feel the same way about process builder it's just not for anything again it comes back to i can't blame salesforce use the right tool for the job if you're gonna, if you end up with fifty processes, you, you probably shouldn't have been using Process Builder the whole time. The but question is, it's hard to know. I'm which... not talking about fifty processes. I'm talking about a single process that fails and breaks critical functionality. I know it breaks lead conversion. No, I it know. breaks opportunity saves. It I, breaks a ton right. of, and it could just be one process, one errant process that do, that breaks it all. Yeah. There's no recovery from it. There's no nice message to the user. It's blue screen of death. We screwed up. You can't do what you want to do right now. Yeah. Call the help desk. It, it's, it's definitely, it's still, it's got issues. And you know, I mean, I'm sure they're working on them. It's just, you know. Is that enterprise level software? But listen, I mean, Salesforce, is, they're also trying to do the lightning thing. They're trying to do the... I, I feel like they, they released... They're, tr they're trying to do They're trying to do Einstein. To they're, they're trying to do IoT. They're trying to do Wave. They're trying to still trying to do Marketing Cloud. Why they're not try, fix the they're, crap that they they're have trying, to they're, make it work so that we can do stuff? Do I really have to answer this for you again? You ready? It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to 10 billion. There's your answer, John. That's my answer. And this is this is what this is what we all have to deal with.
a CEO with a dream to get to 10 billion. And <laughs> so let's, let's, let's talk about lightning. Let, let's make that last topic. How, how are we on time? Over. Over. I'm tired. We were at, a, we're at an hour and 20 something, an hour and 25. All right, let's, let's make it short. Lightning, is it ready? Excuse me? Is, is it ready? Is lightning ready? Yeah. Right, is the community ready for lightning? I'm not ready. I can tell you that. I see so many people who, what we're trying to do today is, is create these interim solutions. We're not so focused on interim solutions. We're focused on forward compatibility solutions. We're focused on, can I build this using XYZ so that we can move it forward into Lightning? We're in this transition period that's very painful, I think, because Lightning, again, is not ready. No one wants to use it yet because there's so many features that aren't enabled in it natively. And there's so much pushback on having to re-implement that stuff. Even though you can, you can go to Lightning today and re-implement all of the functionality you want using the API today. Mm -hmm. No problem. It, well, it's a time and money problem. Um, but you could do that. But, until, but it seems like a waste of money and time to, to re-implement solutions using the API until Lightning supports it. But then on top of that, you have an ecosystem that's built on Apex. People who Maybe their first language is Apex, and they don't know JavaScript. They don't want to know JavaScript. And JavaScript is to do JavaScript well. It's actually a lot harder than Apex. Well, well look at that that meme. Well, I call it a meme, but that graphic that goes around of this is what you have to deal with in JavaScript world, and it's just these these all these this tiled diagram of of uh, frameworks. Yeah, that you can use yep. to try and make your life in JavaScript easier, better. Efficient, yeah, it's tough. Yep, I don't know. I don't. And I don't know. There, there's plenty of people giving us feedback saying, "Hey, you know, if you're if 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 your team is focused only on Apex and doesn't want to learn JavaScript, they're not going to be your Lightning guys." Like you know, and the thing is, Lightning as a static thing, um, what it is, it's. I mean, it's it's got a lot of merit to it. I mean, the, the issue, the problem is, is <clears throat> I think you were saying this, when you've got all this investment in non-Lightning stuff in Salesforce, I mean, Lightning is, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, a lot of this is Salesforce's problem that they're pushing. And I don't think they have any, have any options. So I don't even like the way this sounds, but they're kind of pushing it onto their customers. Like, here's the thing, and yeah, we're going to give you some time, but eventually, you are going to have to invest and redevelop everything into Lightning. Yeah. You're, you're, in many cases, you're going to have to change the way you think about how you are doing things because it's just not going to work in Lightning. Right. And I do think the Salesforce, they do have to go forward. They do need to, they did desperately need to modernize their UI. It was, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. It's, um, and, and how would you have done it any better than what they're doing? It? I mean, now, we've always said that it's a hard problem to solve and, you know, I, I feel they're doing the right thing. I mean, and the way to push this forward, the but. way you build web applications today is fundamentally different than what it was 15, 17 years it, ago. It is. It, it, I think my problem is is the fact that they went with such a proprietary language, and they everyone bought onto Apex. Everyone said, "You know what? I'm an Apex developer." I feel like that's, feel like that's a non sequitur because w whether or not that was Apex or let's say it was Java, that actually doesn't change at all the fact that. The way that Salesforce needs you to build things now is completely different. It's all this client side stuff. 
I mean, the way that you build web apps, forget the languages. I mean, whether it was Java, Apex doesn't matter. Whether it was JavaScript or VBScript doesn't matter. It's the fact that the way you build them, where the logic is, how the how the things are rendered, where they're rendered, that has all changed. And it doesn't matter what your language was. That's yes, true. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. And I just don't know how Salesforce would have done any, done it any better. It's th- this is I mean this is a problem that is just part of when you when you build your business when you build applications um, on a platform that is a moving target that you don't control. I think that I think that's the bigger the bigger issue is that you don't control it. You you don't have control over this decision. Salesforce does. Yeah. And you, and th- you you invested in your team to make them apex proficient, which in some cases did not succeed. Why do you say that? Well, because they a, a lot of these developers came from better tooling. They came from C sharp. They came from Java. They came from being able to do certain things in a more efficient way. They they had their workflow. They had their snippets. They had their libraries. They had their ways well, of doing. They either things. sucked it up and learned Salesforce, or they or they quit and they okay. Went so to those work guys sucked it up and learned JavaScript. I mean, sucked it up and learned Apex. Right. Now they're going to suck it up and learn Lightning and JavaScript. Dude, that that's what, again. That's what I made this comment in the Slack channel earlier. I mean, if you if you're a developer and you don't want to be constantly learning new things, you really should get into a different line of work. No, I agree with that. I mean, I'm I'm always having to learn new things. I I I, mean, I, I spend half of my time learning new things. I know half of my half of my personal time learning I've learned new a things. lot of things that never pan out into being money. I mean, honestly, I, I do wonder. I mean, I'm, I've thought about this. I mean, there are other businesses I could get in that I could. Well, I would spend less time and make more money. Do it. Well, I mean, I'm thinking. I mean, that's one something I always think about. Uh, anyways, anyways, <laughs> let's shut it down. I'm done. All right. I don't know the answers to any of this. Not either. I mean. We're all figuring this out. I mean, this is, you know, the uh, wild west of how you do software nowadays. And I mean, think about in the grand scheme of things with, I mean, so many companies are still not on, we're almost done, or still not in the cloud. We're still, when, when Mark talks about, you know, the, this digital transformation, which I think is so silly, but it's actually, it's actually true. I mean, so many companies are still trying to get digital. They're still, yeah. you know, whether it's their marketing or all kinds of stuff, they're trying to get it digital. And this is kind of a platform you can do that on and it's in the cloud and, it probably should be in the cloud. You probably don't want to try to build your own platform. I mean, you can, and there's, but or, I don't know. I, I guess the obsession with er, the obsession with everything trying to be a platform. What happened to the days of, you know, targeted functionality, func- you know, things that were built to solve a specific need. Now we're trying to build these platforms and these, these well, yeah, things. Because when you build a house, you don't have to like build your own well and 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 you build your own electricity generator. You want to tap into the platform that's there. And tie in it would, it would make it would make no financial sense. You'd get no ROI if you built your platform yourself. You got you got to have some kind of platform, whether it's whether you run it on in your own data center or you run run it on someone's software as a service. Yeah, and and there's places like that, like like AWS and Heroku, right? And where those, you, where, well, where those you, are lower you down can the gain stack. Some of those right. those advantages. Well, I mean, let's talk about utilities. That's lower on the stack. It's it's a pipe that feeds water. It's a pipe that takes sewage away. It's a pipe right. that. Uh, I don't know. That takes electricity. I mean, right. I mean, so that's more we're like talking base infrastructure stuff. as a service, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, I definitely have have the criticism of this proprietary. I mean, 
What happened to people worrying about proprietary? What happened to people worrying about vendor lock-in? It's like no one cares about these things anymore. And I see people falling, falling victim to well, it all the time. It's the same mentality they created the outsourcing movement. How so? And, well, they don't have control over that. I've seen plenty of companies that went, that went outsourcing. And, and companies that I'm intimately familiar with, they went outsourcing. And you know what happens? No one can get anything done because there's all this bureaucracy in between both sides to get something done. It takes months, well, if not yeah, years, right. of planning to get something but done. by the time that the, the person that made that decision to outsource and sold it as this big cost savings thing, by the time that thing fails... Oh, they've gotten their is, bonus. Yeah, yeah, They're he, the hero. Well, yeah, and he's already moved on. He's the VP of something at some other company. Yeah. That's, that's the way this worked. That's the way it's worked for 15 years now. Anyways. Yep. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.